Good morning, church. It is so good to be here. Uh, we've been hearing about this church for a while, and God has done some pretty powerful things to create this church and this family of God, and we're, uh, we're blessed to be here. Um, my role at our church is, is, you know, one of the roles, I guess, is, is missions director, and um, I was um, asked and lucky enough to serve on the board of MAJC as the missions director as well. And God has this really great, unique ability to pull everything together and connect things. And a couple mornings ago, uh, he woke me up in the middle of the night. That's, that's his thing with me is he wakes me up in the middle of the night. And, and my wife kind of thinks it's because I don't spend enough time in prayer and fasting during the day or something. But... Uh, God loves to wake me up in the middle of the night and just pour into me. And you think, it's a missions update. How much pouring can there be? It's God. You ask him. Um, so there's, there's a couple things I want to, I guess, bring you into about missions. So missions, you know, a lot of people will start with, with the Great Commission. But it begins before that. In Matthew 22, starting in verse 36, we read a little story about someone talking to Jesus. And he asks, What's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says to love God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul, with all that you are. And he, then Jesus continues. Oh, by the way, the second commandment is like the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. And we learn from the story of the, the Good Samaritan who your neighbor is. Pretty much anybody. So love others. Love God with all your being and love others. That's where it begins. Because when we love others, it builds a relationship. And Jesus shows us what relationship is about because we build our relationship with him and we build relationship with others. And we love others. That love creates a relationship. And in that relationship, that's where discipleship starts. Discipleship, you think, oh, I can't, I can't read or, or teach a Bible study. I can't preach to someone. That's, that's, discipleship starts, can I have some coffee with you? Come over for a meal. Let's get some fast food together. Let's, let's roast some coffee together. Let's enjoy each other's company. Just sitting and talking. Because you start building that relationship just like you build your, your relationship with Jesus. And once you build a relationship, you begin to trust each other. And once you trust each other, you're willing to hear and to listen to each other. And at that point, that door is open. You don't have to hold your foot there anymore to keep the door open. The door is open for you to pour into them and for them to pour into you. And just a side note, who we spend our time with and what we spend our time doing is how we're being discipled. Think about that. Who is discipling you? What is discipling you? Sorry, I'm come back to this. So now, now we go into the Great Commission in Matthew 28. And Jesus says, go. Make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Ghost, which is Jesus, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. Go. 
Doesn't mean overseas. Missions, by the way, we use that a lot. Missions is ministry. It doesn't matter where the ministry is. doesn't matter where the mission is. I love that you're doing a, a youth event with missions here in this town. It teaches them how to serve, how to love others. And it, the verse doesn't say, take them to church, take them to, to Pastor Dave, take them to Pastor Erica, take them to Pastor whoever. It says, you do it. And did you catch the part about baptizing? Yeah. It doesn't say the pastor do it. We all do that. Yeah. We all disciple. Yeah. We all teach. Yeah. Uh-oh. Are you nervous? It's okay. Because once you start loving people, it becomes second nature to do the rest, to disciple, to love, to baptize, to teach. And let me just add one more thing to that. In John 14... Jesus said, the person who trusts me will not only do what I'm doing, but even greater things. We read Jesus doing a lot of miracles, even greater than what Jesus did. In Romans, we read the very power that raised Jesus from the dead resides in those that are filled with his spirit. Get ready. Get ready. Um, this is another couple I want to introduce you to, Javi, Danielle, and Sage Mendoza. They listened to God. They moved to Honduras twice. I, I can't help but cry because my first trip to Honduras, this little girl was there too. She spent more time on the mission field than most people. Not complaining, but serving and loving others. Helping to, to serve food, whatever there was to do. They've been called to New York to further a ministry there, but we're still working in Honduras. This is what mothers would do once they gave birth to their, their children. They would lay on an open-air hallway on, a, on the floor or lucky on a bench waiting for their children to get healthy. And then God. God came in and they had the U.S. government, military, build this fine building right here. It's a maternity home that will house about 12, 18 mothers. So they have a place to sleep now while their baby is getting better. And then the government handed it over to Connect Global with Javi and Danielle, and they put Hondurans in charge of this. Jorge and Yaneth are the national directors for Portugal, for Connect Global. And so they run this facility, and so there's people of faith bringing these mothers in, and over a thousand mothers have been through this facility in the past year plus. A couple hundred of them have decided to follow Christ because of this. This is the team right here that's showing God's love and discipling young mothers. Every year they have a, a missions conference in Honduras because this is the year. I'm claiming that this is the year that we will have a mission school in Honduras training missions-minded Hondurans for the mission field outside of Honduras. 
not to other Latin Americans, but to people of faith that they feel a kindred to, people in the Muslim world. Hondurans want to go to, to Muslim countries and preach the gospel. This young man here, he was in a class I was teaching, and God told me to tell this odd part of my story about being retired in my early 50s. I'm 57 now, and I've been retired for a few years. I don't get a paycheck. That's what my wife does. She gives me an allowance every week. And so that's part of my story. And the reason for that is because I couldn't be faithful to God in business. I couldn't focus on the word of God and the ministry of God while I was working in a career. So he took me out of that career and said, here, you're going to work full time and you're going to do it for free. So be careful of your faithfulness to God because he will make things turn around to help you be faithful. And this young man had the same testimony, the same story. And so it was an encouragement to him, an encouragement to me. These are guys that were in prison that are now serving God. Another view of that couple. And a view of the school that Connect Global is now running. And, of course, COVID hit as soon as they agreed to, to run it. So their funds are short. But they're just trusting God to make a way. And God willing, whether we do it remote or we do it here at this school, this is where the mission school will take place as well. I smile too, not just cry. And this is Mark and Laura Gibbs. Mark came to me for a job when I was actually still working. My manager of a restaurant uh, wanted to hire him, and uh, a second interview came to me, and we talked. And that's what we do in an interview. We talk. We get to know each other. And I said, no, I'm not going to hire you. But in the interview, he talked about being an assistant pastor. I talked about my wife being a pastor and about our church. A few months later, he came to Asheville and started coming to our church, which kind of sketched me out a little bit. Who, <laughs> You're not going to kill me, are you? He has become one of my best friends, and God blessed them to build their dream home. And I was jealous of the kitchen they had at home. I loved it. They loved it. But after a year of living there, God said, sell it. Sell your cars, sell everything you have, and they fit what they could in 17 bags and moved to Portugal. They're still not quite sure why, but they're living in southern Portugal and he also travels around the globe. He's got 50-plus pastors that he speaks encouragement and faith into in a variety of countries, from Pakistan to Nepal, India, Philippines, throughout northern Africa. And he is, this couple is, is a, a couple of faith. And that's what God can do when you begin to love and begin to disciple each other. So... On one of these trips, I flew with, with uh, Mark to Nepal. So here we're driving, uh, traveling from Kathmandu in the east to a place called Nepal Gunj in the, the west of Nepal. In the background, that's the Himalayas. And yes, these are clouds below the mountains. So this is the backbone of the earth right here. We're flying along. And I had no thought to ever go to this country. But God took me to this country to meet some amazing people. This young man is Siraj, this is his father, Chandra, and God has done miracles to bring faith into this land. 
a Hindu land. And when we first started going there, less than 1% of this country of 29 million people were Christian. I just by chance looked before I came on this trip. That number of Christians is now 1.4. So we're talking nearly doubling the number of Christians in the country in the last five years. I hear story after story of what these men and women are doing. They're walking up into the Himalayas, and homes could be miles apart, and they're going from home to home preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. On the last trip, he reached 300 or so folks with about half of them coming to Jesus. And these are people who are unreached. They've never heard the name Jesus before. This home, this is where they live. There's three families that live in the bottom of this home. The Hindu government, by chance, I won't get into the whole story, built a second floor for them so they could have a training facility for pastors on this property. Their church is behind the house. And so, again, we don't have the funds to do that. What funds we have, we're sending so they can do what they can as they can. Um, this was the foot washing we had with the pastors. Um, here's a, a lot of the pastors that we're working with. Um, this was uh, one of the first trips since then. We now have some women pastors in there also. And since we don't have the money and funds to build uh, facilities, they're building huts and putting 10 roofs on them, or they're following the no place left model and doing house church. And when one of the house churches, every spot was taken. I guess we could have fit one more person here. We had two, two men, two young men, commit themselves to Jesus during this, uh, this service. Let me go back here. And then we baptized 12 people in that little river. 12 people. Because some people of faith said, it doesn't matter what obstacles we're up against. Let's love somebody. Let's show the gospel to them. And let's tell the gospel to them. So let me just say, we have some opportunities. If you want to give, we have ways to give. If you want to serve, we have ways to serve. I'll be going to Honduras in July. I'll be going back to Nepal in October. We're looking for a trip to uh, northern Africa in, well, we don't know when yet. Um, but beyond all that, all of you can do the next thing. You can all pray. Pray for Siraj and his team in Nepal. Pray for Jorge and Yeneth in Honduras and for the work they're doing there. Pray for Javi and Danielle in New York and for what they are doing there. And pray for Mark and Laura in Portugal as God continues to lead them and show them how to disciple where they're at now. Thank you so much for your time. God is so good. I'm so scared of this stand. I broke this stand down yesterday because I've got one of those meaty Bibles that weighs roughly 85 pounds. You wouldn't believe. If I took my suit coat off, you would see guns. You would not believe. Guys, you wouldn't believe it. It's from the Word, lifting the Word, reading the Word. Thank you, Jesus. 
I appreciate you all so very much. Thank you for coming out today. Um, in spite of not getting to hear Pastor Dave, I was so grateful when someone showed up. I was like, man, if the women that were at the retreat don't come, then I'm going to know they were being held captive for the last two days. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. It has been awesome to get to spend time with Pastor Dave and Pastor Erica. It's been so fun. And um, man, this is a great church family. Thank you all for making us welcome. You're great, great people. Um, and so let's, let's jump in, right? So at the ladies' conference, we've been, uh, we were looking at testimony. Hey, Riley. Those cookies were great. Thank you. Um, the, so we were talking about testimony. So today I would like for us to go to the book of second Timothy chapter one. And, uh, we're going to spend a few minutes this morning just looking at what's your story. Okay. Which is, sounds kind of like a pickup line in a bar. What's your story? Hey, beautiful. What's your story? <laughs> but, um, I, I don't stop saying corny things. If you don't laugh, I'm just going to put that out there. I will literally do it to entertain myself. <laughs> Second Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. Some of this will sound really, really familiar to you. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on my, of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. And that's what I want to look at today is um, this sort of this idea that, um, so what's your story? Like, don't be ashamed of your story. You got a story. Everybody's got a story. I'm about to tell you a story. My dad got the phone call just a few weeks ago that his uncle had passed away and our family is from northern Louisiana. And so his uncle was uh, well into his 80s, and it was not completely unexpected. And so, but um, my dad, you know, hurried down and everything, and they had the service, and he knew the five guys that were uh, the pallbearers. But there was a woman that was a pallbearer that he, he had never seen before. And so he, he wondered who she was. And after the service, he approached her and he said, ma'am, he said, I just wanted to introduce myself. He's like, I, I'm, I'm uh, Mason's nephew and uh, I, didn't, I, I haven't met you and just didn't know if you were part of the family or, or a friend. And she said, I'm the librarian. And dad's like, okay, cool. So, so you were friends with, with uh, Mason. She's like, no, no. Mildred, Mason's wife, would come into the library to get books. And she came in last week and, I, and, and let me know that Mason had passed. And I said, let me know if there's anything I can do. And she said, actually, we need one more pallbearer. <laughs> one more pallbearer. <laughs> You should be careful if you ask someone, is there anything I can do to help you? Because they may take you up on that. Isn't that fantastic? Now, what's great about stories is that I could have said, um, sometimes unlikely people are given tasks. And you would be like, well, that's probably true, but 
you know, I don't care. But I have just told you a story that I would give a 50-50 chance of being repeated over the lunch table to someone that is not in this room right now because it's so weird, okay? And that's what story does. Story connects really deeply with us. Like we are stories. We live out stories. We, we watch stories and we read stories and we write stories. We even have like this running dialogue in our own heads sometimes. Do any of you have pets yeah. at all? Yes, a few. Yes. She's like, yes, I do. <laughs> so people with pets, we superimpose upon our pets like an entire storyline. Okay? Now, I think we know that dogs are like, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. And we know that cats are like, die, die, die. Leave me the house but die. <laughs> but we don't, we don't look at it that way. We superimpose this whole narrative. You know, when Fifi walks in the kitchen, we're like, look, did you want something to eat? Yes, you do. And we just have a dialogue with the dog. So precious. We do that with babies before they can talk. We're like, we're talking to them and we're, we're having a conversation. You know what she's saying right now? She's saying, get your face out of my face. Your face is so big. Your face is so big, get your face out of my face. Yeah. Oh, she's looking at the light now. She's looking at the light. Oh, that pretty light. Look at that pretty. We impose stories on everything because that's how we internalize. That's how we internalize things. We start, you know, in the, the very earliest ages telling stories to our children. And, and we tell stories that tap into deep things that we can't even really define why it resonates with us. And uh, Carl Jung would have said that, you know, stories sometimes tap into these archetypal things that are like already in the collective unconscious. In other words, that there are things that we learn as humankind that we carry forward and it's deep, it's so deep within us, we can't even articulate where it came from. And I like that because I believe that we have a creator that did it on purpose. <laughs> I think he did it on purpose. And so we teach our children stories that help them to deal with the big things of life. Anybody ever be afraid that there was something under your bed that was going to get you? Do you remember that feeling of terror when you're a kid and you're like, I got to go to the bathroom. It's really dark. I have to jump from the bed as far as I can so the monster won't reach out and grab me. Did y'all do Y'all are the bravest people. I was that way. I was like, man. Or when you're walking up the steps, okay, you're walking up the steps in the house and the lights are off behind you and you just feel like something's fixing to grab you. Right? There's this thing inside your head that's like, there might be something there. And if you don't believe me, even as a grown folk, I want you to approach a dark doorway of a dark room, even though you know what's in the room. And I want you to reach inside very slowly and see if it doesn't just skeeve you out just a little bit, like something's going to get your hand before you flick on the light. It's like, oh, still. You know, you don't have to teach 
You don't have to teach children that there are monsters under the bed. They come up with that on their own. You have to teach them that it's going to be okay. They're, you know, how many times did you have to check under the bed for your kids, maybe? Or, or check in the closet. There's something in the closet. No, there's not, honey. You open the door. There's nothing in Nothing could fit in your closet, young lady. <laughs> you need to clean this up. It didn't matter that I stuffed everything under my bed as a kid. I was still convinced there was a monster under there, JJ. There's something that can fit under there. That's crazy. G.K. Chesterton said, fairy tales do not tell children that dragons exist. Children already know that. Fairy tales tell children that dragons can be killed. So I would ask you, are you aware of the story that takes place within these pages that tells us about an epic battle between good and evil? This book contains the story of God, and it is illustrated in a narrative form through the interactions of God with man. That's what this book does, is it illustrates who God is from beginning to end. That's what it does. It's, it's magical is what it is. It's so amazing. I was one of those kids that was, this is going to date me and I get it, but Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, I know they're coming back, but they're not as cool as they were. Did you see that meme that was going around Facebook? It was one of uh, Michelangelo's beautiful sculptures and with a quote from him that talked about, I just removed all of the marble that wasn't an angel, you know? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's really deep. Yeah. And then someone had superimposed underneath that. The even more amazing thing was he was a giant ninja turtle. Yeah. <laughs> You're so sweet to laugh politely. The good people, Dave. These are good people. <laughs> Cherish them, brother. Cherish them. It's, I, when I'm preaching <laughs> to my parishioners, every now and then I can almost hear wah, wah, wah. <laughs> All right, so story is kind of a big deal. It's kind of the way that we're made, it's the way we're built. And each of us are living out a story that's happening right now. You just penciled us in as part of your story. And I, and I appreciate that because it means a lot to me to be a part of your life and a part of your story. Jesus very often used stories when he was talking to people. He didn't very often just throw out, you should love people without kind of evoking a story. And as Kevin uh, referenced the story of the Good Samaritan. And it's like not even a, like a little short story. He's not like, so a guy got beat up and all the religious people walked past him and then some guy that you all think are unclean stopped and helped him. That would have been a short version. He gave the long version. He's like, once upon a time, there was a man on a journey to go somewhere. <laughs> I mean, he gave the long and it's great and it gets a hold of what it really is to ignore a need because of prejudice. Yeah. 
You know? Because of bias. The Word of God is filled with stuff like that. And it, it touches our hearts and it gets connected with who we are and it should connect us to what story we want our life to tell because there's only one reason you could possibly be here today. Because you think that something's going to take place here that is going to be a good thing in your story. You didn't show up here thinking like, this is going to be a complete waste of time. Right? You d- <laughs> Hopefully not. Hopefully you busy people didn't just come over here because you're like, well, let's be kind. Dave's our neighbor and his little friend is in town. Take care of his little friend. Hello, Shekinah. <laughs> it's nice to have you. We drove all this way. So nice. <laughs> you came here because you expect that something about the word of God is going to be applied to your life and you're going to be able to use it in your story. And so I would say to you that that is exactly what the word of God is. I would say that's exactly what Jesus is. Jesus came as a savior in the midst of a a story for each of us, a dark place for each of us, a facing of of an abyss, of an eternity separated from God. And he, he changed all of that. He changed all of that by giving himself, covering us with his blood, which gives us this amazing grace. Because see, the world was created perfect originally. It was so beautiful and so perfect. Work was a joy, not a curse, right? But then because of sin, it was broken. And the brokenness of this world is what we struggle against and what the whole world struggles against. And people are aware of it. People are aware of the brokenness of the world. They're like, what? We've got to clean up the oceans and we've got to... We've got to get this pollution out of the air and we've got to do better at taking care of this planet. And they're trying so desperately to make it better. But they don't necessarily realize that the thing that broke it is sin. And that also has to be addressed. There is a dragon that must be faced. But you don't have to face that dragon alone. Isn't that awesome? Now, I would love to be able to tell you that all the dragons are going to be faced by Christ alone, and you just get to cheer him on from the side. Rah, 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 kick him in the knee. Rah, 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 kick him in the other knee. Yay! Right? Sorry, Kate. I'm going to do better. Raising the bar right now. I'm going to do better. But that's not the way that God constructed this adventure that we are on. He constructed a lifetime adventure like Mario Brothers, in which you are moving through time, which God is not bound by. 
He's, he's outside of it, and we're moving through time, and we are coming against obstacles that will try to end us or at least damage us severely enough that we are no longer effective at moving through this journey. He didn't, he paid it all, but he didn't just leave nothing to be done. He's like, um, so I'm going to cover you so that you look like me. So that you can go and face the dragons in this world. Well, it's uncomfortable is what it is. Thanks, Jesus. Imagine the trust. Imagine the love and the trust of stepping out, just little old us, to face the giant. You know, God didn't need David in order to bring victory to Israel. God, he could just go, just... And it wouldn't have been like, I mean, obviously, he just, a giant just got struck by lightning. That had to be God. But God didn't do that. He said, David, you go. I'll be with you. Gideon, you know, and he's out, you know, threshing wheat behind the barn and scared. You know how it is when you're threshing wheat, y'all. They're threshing wheat. You don't want your neighbors to see what you're doing. You're out behind the barn threshing wheat, and an angel appears and says, Mighty man of valor. And Gideon looks around like, Somebody else is here, clearly, because he's not talking to me. And the Lord starts unfolding this really cool thing in Gideon's life in which Gideon, the not very courageous, becomes the instrument of God because God wants to bring forth a great victory. And every time Gideon starts feeling real comfortable with what God's doing, okay, I get it, Lord, I get it. We got a big army now. We we can do it. Let's do it. Then God whittles it away, reduces it, makes it less because God's like, no, no, you're going to do your part in this story by going out when I tell you to go out and acting in a way that I want you to act. But in no way are you going to receive the glory. I want people to see the story and know that it was God that gave the victory. So what is your story? Are, Are you living a life that is conducted in such a way that people can see there's something else going on because you couldn't do that on your own. Like, like that's so bizarre. How, how did that happen? I love listening to Pastor Dave talk about this church, this community, and, and how it all came together you know, that it was in the heart of the builders. As it said in the documentary, if you build it, they will come. <laughs> That's not what it said. <laughs> right? There, there's something powerful about story, and each of you have one. Each of you have one, and God is moving in it. 
He's moving in it in ways that you don't even recognize. So there's two things that we have to do. We have to get a hold of what storyline am I living? Am I living a storyline that says, I am afraid of the dragon and I will not go out and face him? I will not do it. Nobody wants to hear that story. You tell your kids, I'm going to tell you a story about a big dragon and how the knight, the valiant knight with the sword and the shield ran away screaming all the way home. Wee, wee, wee. Nobody wants to hear that story. That's a terrible story. Nobody wants to hear that. What they want to hear because it taps into what God planted inside of us. They want to hear about someone who, in spite of the odds, in spite they knew they were afraid, in spite they knew that they, didn't, they weren't maybe the best equipped for the job, when God said, I'm going to send a flood, build me a boat, they said, okay. That's the stories you want to hear. That's the story that God's wanting to do in you. He's not just interested in just a, a neighborhood or a, a section of, of city where people say, you know what? We want to give back. We want to give back. So we're going to do nice things for people. Give back a little of what the Lord's given to us, Ryan. Maybe serve him a nice cup of coffee. Ryan's coffee is so good. I had four cups yesterday and I was so wound up. I thought... I'm going to have a heart attack. <laughs> it was awesome. I know, man. I was talking about grace yesterday. And as I sat my Bible down and said, grace, it, everything fell down and so did I. It was, it was just, it was a total beautiful collapse. I want my story to be so intertwined with God's story that everything that happens in it ends in that awesome and they lived happily ever after until once upon a time and you start a whole new section because it ain't over till it's over, right? What an adventurous life God has called us into. And the apostle Paul said to Timothy, he said, look, bud, I imagine that he called him that. He's like his son. Look, bud, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me of his, his prisoner, but be a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. What a weird thing to say. Be a partaker of the afflictions. He said, man, there's a great adventure out there. Won't you just go ahead and join God in that adventure and stepping out and doing uncomfortable things? Doing uncomfortable things? You know, I'm afraid of homeless people. I'm not saying you're afraid of homeless people. I'm saying I'm afraid of homeless people. In Asheville, we have a lot of people that are just, you know, kind of homeless. And they, some of them are not really, really homeless. They just seem homeless. And then there's some people like you know they're actually homeless because their clothes haven't been laundered and they're, you know, and they, they've got PTSD. And so when we go downtown, whoa, I'm sorry. I apologize for that. I just, I was adjusting my hair. I was tossing my hair, and then I moved the mic. I'm sorry. So we go downtown, and we're, like, singing. We're doing, like, a praise thing, you know. Then there's all these scary people walking around and picking fights. I literally saw two homeless guys 
get in a knockdown drag out because one of them littered. I know you weren't expecting that. You thought, yeah, it's right. He took something. He says, no, he didn't. He threw a can over the fence. The other homeless guy's like, that's disgusting. We have to live here. Why do you want to do that? <laughs> it was scary because they were like going to, they were a little drunk. I'm, to be fair, they were a little drunk. And I was like nervous because I almost never bring weapons to worship service. <laughs> almost <laughs> never. And um, <laughs> one of my parishioners who's like 70, he's like standing, he plays tennis all the time. And um, he reaches in his pocket, and this altercation is going on behind him, and they're, like, getting louder. And um, Will, like, pulls these fingerless gloves out of his pocket, and he starts putting them on. And I thought that was odd because it's the summertime, and I didn't know what he was doing because we're just talking, you know? And he starts pulling on these fingerless gloves. I said, Will, what are you doing? He's like, there's about to be a fight. I don't want to break my fingers. I pastor the coolest people. <laughs> Y'all need to man up because the people at Asheville are tough. And I'm really intimidated, you know, by people that may commit violence. And so I'm real nervous about it. So God does this cool thing and he's like, Shekinah. Sometimes God calls me Shekinah like my godmother. Shekinah, I want you to go be more involved in veterans that are homeless and have serious mental issues and that's why they don't have a home you know that that's scary people that are militarily trained but they're too crazy to live with their families ryan come on now that is not cool I am delicate in spite of my giant guns. I'm delicate like a flower. And the Lord is saying, I want you to come out and these people that are kind of scary. And I want you to just love on them and talk to them and pretend like they're not scary to you. And you know what? So far, so good. We're doing okay. We're doing okay. So far, and no one's gotten murdery. Yay! I want every day of my life to be the kind of adventure where without God, it wouldn't be possible. You know? Because we don't have that much time on this earth. So why not let the time on this earth be the kind of time that people want to write books about? So, gathering. I'm going to read you one more passage of Scripture just so you can see that this did actually come out of the Word of God. The book of Revelation, it says in chapter 12, verse 10 and 11, and I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. I'm going to tell you one more little story. There was these guys that worked for the government. And uh, it wasn't, this has been back a, a while back. These guys worked for the government. 
the, um, the man in charge, the head of the government, said, we're going to do things different. You're not going to have the freedom to worship the way you want to worship. We're going to worship this golden statue. And these guys had this great response to him. They were like, well, first of all, no, because there's only one God, and we're not going to bow down. We're not going to bow down to this golden image, O king. Their response is so cool, not because they were expecting deliverance. Now, I don't know why they weren't expecting deliverance exactly. I like the way they hedged their bets, because this is more my kind of faith, Pastor Dave. You know, some people are like, I got a faith that can move mountains. Mountain, be thou removed into the sea. And then they're just like, that's it. That's their faith. I'm like, mountain, be thou removed into the sea, unless you don't want to, or God doesn't want you to, or it's not the right thing to happen right now. Just whatever's supposed to happen should happen. Yes! And so these guys, are, they're, they're there at this big meeting, and um, it's going to be pretty rough if they don't do what they're supposed to do. Because not only are they going to get fired, not only are they going to lose their benefits, not only are they going to lose their insurance and their retirement, they're also going to be cast into a fiery furnace. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. This is not, this is no like, oh, well, I'm going to have to change jobs. This is one of those, well, you're not going to be working ever again. Listen to this response. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar. We are not careful to answer thee in this matter, okay? We can tell you straight up, if it be so, our God we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. But if not, see, that's my kind of faith right there. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up because that is not right. Our story may go out in a blaze in the fiery furnace, but it's not going to change what is true and what is real, and that's our relationship with God. I don't know if he's going to allow me to burn up in the fiery furnace, but I know this. He doesn't want me bowing down to that golden image. And then the coolest thing happens. God steps in and they don't get thrown in the fiery furnace. What happened? Paul's like, that is not the story. You are being ridiculous now. <laughs> That's not what happened. What actually happened is they got thrown in the fiery furnace. It was very, very hot. It was so hot it killed the people that threw them in. And then they're just walking around in there with another dude that the king describes as like unto the Son of God. What an adventure. What a great thing. That's so much better than just coming home and say, baby, let's guess what happened to me today. I got fired. Do you see what I did there? I got fired. The fiery furnace. Right. The fiery furnace. It's fine. It's good. It's cool. They're like, listen to what happened. My boss said if we didn't do it like this, and I knew it was the wrong thing to do, and I was like, listen, man, that's not going to work because this is what God really wants. 
And whether he saves my job or doesn't, or saves my life or doesn't, this is the right thing. And then they threw me into a furnace. <laughs> are you serious? You don't even smell like smoke. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> but this is the coolest thing. It wasn't just me and my whole boys. I saw the anointed one walking in the fire with us. And that's what God can do in your life. So what's your story, church? What's your story? Y'all ready for an adventure? Thank you, Jesus. Yes! 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 Pastor Dave, she's yours. Don't leave. Don't leave.